We use the word choice like everybody has access to it. Yeah. But if you're driven by a hundred forms of fear or overwhelming bodily sensation, you're not choosing, you're reacting. Yeah. And so recovering the supreme human gift of choice, I've been given the gift of choice again. And I don't know if I deserve that or not, but I've gotten to receive it. That right? is ah, oh, that is so good. Like mm. this idea that recovery is being given the gift of choice again. I love that because even in my story, it's like I feel like through the way I've chosen to live my life and the energy I've put into growing as a human, I'm not as much a product of my environment. I'm more a product of my choice, like my behavior, yeah. my yes. hard work. Yeah. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. And I'm your host, Hannah Warren. Hey, everyone. We have got an incredibly special episode today in honor of National Recovery Month. Working at OnSite over the last three years has expanded my view of recovery, and I'm really excited to chat about this topic with two of my favorite team members. We invited our VP of Clinical Services for Milestones, Christopher O'Reilly, and Clinical Director Kathleen Murphy to join Hannah and I for a conversation all about recovery, what that means both from their personal and professional vantage points. As you'll hear in this episode, they come from different backgrounds around this topic, but I love the way that it facilitated interesting conversation, caused us to ask deep questions, and I believe invites us all to examine the areas in our lives that we can live more into a recovery lifestyle. I'm so grateful for how they vulnerably shared their own stories. And if you want to hear more from Christopher and Kathleen, I would love to invite you to join us for an upcoming webinar on next Tuesday, September 27th, called Rethinking Recovery, Broadening Our Understanding of Recovery and What It Has to Teach Us All. A link to register is in this week's show notes. So without further ado, let's dive into this important topic. Well, I'm so excited to be sitting with the two of you, Christopher and Kathleen, and we brought you on because it's National Recovery Month. And I kind of just wanted to have an authentic and real conversation about the topic of recovery. I'd love to hear your personal experiences, but also your professional experiences, both having worked in the mental health space and the addiction space for a long time. And Mm -hmm. so why don't we start with just having you guys introduce yourselves and who you are and kind of a little bit of your background in this space. Sure. Well, I'll introduce myself like I would if I was in a recovery space. Okay, great. Okay. Right, well, I would say, yeah, hi, I'm Kathleen, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, hi Kathleen. Kathleen. You know the deal. Um, <laughs> I have been actually working in recovery uh, for most of my life. Um, I got sober when I was 25. Anyway, I've been sober for a little over 39 years. It's impressive. I, I consider that the greatest miracle mm-hmm. of my life. Mm. And when I say that, what I mean is... Before this moment, like I got clean on July 27th of 1983. And the reason I consider this the greatest miracle of my life is because before that moment, I simply could not remember, no matter how I hurt, who I hurt, no matter how I swore to God, swore to me, swore to anyone else that I wasn't going to do it again, Mm -hmm. I could not remember not to pick up and drink or drug or act out no matter what. 
Hmm. And something happened on that day, July 27th of 1983, that no matter who died, what dream didn't come true, how my heart was broken, what celebration, I simply have been able to remember not to do, Hmm. to pick up and use a substance. And for me, that is a foundation Hmm. of everything that I have. Hmm. And so I'm just really happy to be here today to you know, talk about that. And as a person that has kind of a more traditional 12-step recovery, I feel really open and expansive um, to include other people in that because I've I created for myself a, a, a definition of recovery. Mm-hmm. And I say that this recovery is a way of life. Mm-hmm. It's a practice. And relief is an event. And mm-hmm. recovery is not an event. It's a way of living in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great distinction. I'm excited to dive into more of that. Yeah. And uh, hello, I'm Christopher. I, I, yeah, wow. So for me, I have been working, I pretty much spent my entire career working in addiction treatment center up until very recently. So that's been my professional story, if you will. And, you know, it's so funny because it's like, if you would have asked me a long time ago, like, well, why did you get into that work? It'd be like, oh, I just want to help people, (laughs) you know, and then completely avoiding the truth, which is that I grew up in an alcoholic home Mm -hmm. and I'm just like so comfortable in that arena, if you will, because Mm -hmm. it's kind of all I knew. Yeah. So, so that's the real truth. But anyhow, and then as far as like personally, you know, that's a, that's an interesting thing because I don't consider myself in recovery in the traditional sense. I never really utilized twelve step. Mm-hmm. What's funny when I stopped drinking and drugging as like a, around twenty years old, I didn't even know twelve step existed. Mm-hmm. So what prompted what motivated you, you to stop? Yeah, yeah. So I had like a spiritual experience, mm-hmm. and I developed a habit or a pattern of meditating on a daily basis Mm. and slowly just reconnected with my body and the obsessions that I had and the self-destructive behavior literally started to make absolutely no sense. Mm -hmm. And some of the self-destructive behavior that I engaged in frequently just started to fade away. Mm -hmm. And um, within a short period of time, like, Stop drinking, stop smoking, stop eating certain foods, stopped spending time with certain people. Mm-hmm. I think the my friends and family thought that I like they were nervous because yeah. it was such a dramatic shift. And um instead of going out partying on a Saturday night, I would read and meditate. And mm-hmm. it was um it was a weird thing because it was like I stumbled upon it and I never have felt like I found what I was looking for as much as I did in that period of time. So it was a consistent shift for many, I mean, 20 years old now, it's the last 23 years. And um, kind of like you said, it saved my life. Like that's yeah. the foundational piece. And yeah. when I say it saved my life, I mean like, I don't think that behavior would have gotten better, mm-hmm. you, yeah. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also have seen just the people that you spend time with your family, things, how it how it ends up. Yeah. I love that this is the starting ground because... I think people have a picture in their mind when they Mm -hmm. think of recovery. And I think this is National Recovery Month. And 
often when it comes to using or abusing substances, people are familiar with extreme Mm -hmm. extremes. So addiction that overruns life or needing to be completely sober. And I love that that has saved your life, Kathleen, and has been Mm -hmm. a miracle for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also love that recovery can look different Mm because I think um, sometimes we can count ourselves out of these conversations. Like, well, I don't really know what I have to glean from this. I'm not a quote unquote, I'm not an addict or whatever. And I think Mm -hmm. until I kind of worked in the mental health space too, I didn't really think recovery applied to me. Um, So maybe we start there. Like, what is recovery? How would we define that? Well, well, one of the things I want to say about about even the conversation that we're having here, I mm-hmm. want to situate it in history. Yeah, um, because before 1935 or 1936, mm-hmm. there was no nothing available. People that drink like me, mm-hmm. and I'm a person that you think of like I'm a lethal weapon mm-hmm. when I drink because my body mm-hmm. reacts differently to that substance than the average person. Mm. When I drink alcohol and I get tipsy, I have a physiological reaction that Mm. says, give me more. So in a way, that's an allergy. Mm -hmm. Because now the definition of allergy is an abnormal response to a substance. Mm. Like if I have an allergy to strawberries, like let's say I would break out in spots or whatever, but I wouldn't be trying to hide strawberry juice in my house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I wouldn't be figuring out ways that right. I could get strawberry juice. But you're still having an abnormal response. Yeah. Right. Like that I would have this yeah. response. And so so the reason that recovery um, has been very protective about defining itself, because like when I'm listening to Chris, for an example, mm-hmm. I would never have stopped drinking at that point. Yeah. I couldn't. Mm-hmm. You it wouldn't. wouldn't like, I'm a person that's been to 14 rehabs. Mm-hmm. And I'm a person that wanted to quit with mm-hmm. every fiber of my being, but mm-hmm. was simply unable to do so. Mm-hmm. Even though I caused serious bodily injury to another human being because mm-hmm. I was driving drunk and I, I hurt someone. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, I didn't want to be the person that did that. But... Mm. For me, it's a dangerous conversation that I hear when people are like, well, let's drink in moderation. Mm-hmm. Some people are able to do mm-hmm. that because drinking and drugging causes them problems, but it's not the same mm-hmm. yeah. as it is for me. That, And I think it is, is really important yeah. that we make that distinction. Yeah. But I don't think that we can go, recovery is co-opted only by that, those people. Right. Those people who right. have that But abnormal. that needed to happen first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that people, because there's a huge stigma. Do you think there's stigma now? There was stigma way Mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know this, but Chris and I have known each other for years. Yeah. And I had no idea I was going to get to work with you again. (laughs) And you know, because and I know, because we've worked with thousands of people, that people die regularly, Mm -hmm. regularly, Mm -hmm. who have you know, this illness. And so there's a distinction between problematic Mm -hmm. use and addiction, uh, Mm -hmm. addiction, Mm -hmm. like alcohol addiction or substance addiction. Like, but I I don't think you need to be in total complete addiction in order to be in recovery. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really great distinction. Mm -hmm. Like what Christopher was sharing, I think even as you were describing, like I started doing this and I started replacing this and I changed who I hung out with and I changed Mm -hmm. the foods I ate and I changed how I spent my time. And I was like, oh, that's a lifestyle change. That's recovery. 
as Kathleen defined it. But if I would have walked into a meeting and people were talking like this, Mm -hmm. I would keep on thinking, oh, I could do that. But the problem is I couldn't. Yes. Exactly. And I was trying. And so I was trying. And so the traditional 12-step kind of way, this is the first program that was able to help people actually stay sober. Yeah. Was learning how to live sober and connect with Mm -hmm. other people. It was a revolution in the 20th century that opened the door Mm -hmm. for people to be able to say, hey, I need recovery Mm -hmm. and I might not be suffering that bad because the bar was raised. Mm -hmm. Yeah, But, you know, I am standing on giant shoulders, Mm -hmm. people who suffered way more than me and who took risk of courage to be Mm -hmm. able to get sober or clean, right? When it was... Very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm aware, you know, even as a female. Yeah. There's hardly, when I got clean, there's hardly any women in the rooms to begin mm-hmm. with. Sure. And definitely hardly any young people. And that's all changed because, mm-hmm. because there was a ground that was laid that allowed people to begin to go, hey, maybe that's not the end all be all, but it was definitely a starting place. Yeah. yeah. Right. And now there's like refuge and other forms of recovery that I completely love and participate yeah. in. Awesome. But I want to make sure that addiction that. got its real. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's so yeah. important. It's so important in this conversation. Because you see people die when they don't get that. Mm-hmm. Right? And people trying really hard and, and trying families. their own volition. And yeah. Yeah. And they need help. And mm-hmm. you, uh, you, you've seen people, I, I know this, mm-hmm. like, Trying really hard and that that craving, right? Yeah. That yeah. that not being able to bring into consciousness with sufficient force. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate the 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 way you describe the physiological mm-hmm. response because I mean I had a period of time, it was like six years that I worked on a in a program at Karen, it was specifically for chronic relapsers. Mm-hmm. And it had nothing to it has nothing to do with willpower. Right. It has desire. nothing to do with right. desire. Or changing. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, it, yeah, it has nothing to do with that. I mean, literally, it's just mm-hmm. extremely difficult mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And here's the other thing. Some people think that with more consequences and, right. f- and longer time mm-hmm. in active addiction, they should finally get it. Yeah. When actually the opposite mm-hmm. happens sometimes because people, they're further and further away from their right. soul in some respects mm. because the guilt and shame just builds and builds and builds. And it's like, I've seen people on the verge of losing everything and all they, you know, it's like the family's begging them, like, please right. just do what you need to do. And they're just like, it's not that easy. Right. If there's that despair, so, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and then that beating yourself up because if I only can, mm. and the swearing that you hear people do, right? Yeah. It's almost like asking someone in like, Late stage cancer, just try harder. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so that's why I think it's important that it's not all loop, uh, put into one thing because then it becomes no thing, no yeah. thing. And it's like, I'm all about people, like, I want, I want to think recovery, recovering what? Mm-hmm. Recovering what? Mm-hmm. Because that opens, I think, the conversation to. What am I actually recovering, mm. right? And when people use the word, if we're not going to just put it strictly in traditional recovery, but it's like recovering my right to be here, mm. recovering 
Right. My connection to myself. Yeah. Yeah. And how, like, I love what you said about, I began this practice. Like, we've talked about this before, Chris Mm -hmm. and I have. Oh, healing is not an event. It's a way of living in Mm. the world, right? Mm -hmm. Like those meditation practices. I had a spiritual experience. That's what's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. You just got to come by it. You know, which you is a, yeah. which yeah. is a miracle in and of itself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Like that something happened in your life. Yeah, I still don't understand it. <laughs> I really and don't. Why? How? Which is the same thing that I'm saying that some miracle happened on July 27th when I really woke up and I thought, mm-hmm. this is honestly, I thought, I'm going to try this one more time, and if it doesn't work, I'm just going to go ahead and blow my brains out mm-hmm. because I can't live like this anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, had it not been for, you know, people, I went to a, 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 I lived on the street for the first six months I was sober. I was a homeless person with a child. And um, I have a saying, God saved me from people trying to help me. Hmm. Because I never got help by the people that were trying to help me. Hmm. And I was living on the street, but I would go to the AA or to the 24-hour club in Fort Worth and People there were treating me like I um, had something to offer Mm. rather Mm. than I was a broken person needing fixing. Mm. And so what I saw was that I was obviously just disturbed or hurt. Yeah. But people, when they think that they're helping you, they come from the one-up position Mm -hmm. and they remind Mm -hmm. you that you're broken. Mm -hmm. And what I saw, the miracle of recovery, was that people were inviting me to participate Mm -hmm. in being of service to other people when I thought I had nothing to offer but they're like, you do. You have something to mm-hmm. offer. And I didn't believe them, but I would just, one of the earlier things that I learned was bring the body, the mind will follow. Mm-hmm. Mm. Suit up and show up and come with us. Like these cliches, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I remember the first day of my entire life where I was like, I was at this rich person's house because I was invited there with these other alcohol sober folks. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what? Why would I go? I have nothing to give. And they're like, no, come on. You're going to come with us. And I'm like, okay. And here's this woman that's living in splendor, and she's poor on the inside. Mm -hmm. But I had like a week or something of being sober, and she related to me. Mm -hmm. And as she related to me, I remember this feeling of hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah seemed to kind of come up from inside of me and I didn't make that happen. Mm -hmm. It wasn't for me. I was still living in the street. Mm -hmm. Nothing changed. Mm -hmm. But then I realized it wasn't about things changing. It was about something on the inside changing Mm -hmm. and shifting. Mm -hmm. And then I'll just say one more thing and be quiet. And (laughs) it was from there that being able to accept when people were extending their hand to say, come with us, come have coffee that's what helped come mm-hmm. like you're funny, like things like that. Yeah. And um, it was from the generosity of this uh, caucus of women who created this program in Austin, Texas called Family House that accepted women with children because I couldn't go to treatment because I had a child mm-hmm. and I would have to leave her. And it caused, like you talked about guilt and shame, more guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. And I had to be in treatment for a year because I needed a safe place for a long period of time 
because people continue to drink for a reason. And usually, mm -hmm. this is our specialty here at Onsite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that underlying trauma yeah. that comes up with full force once you're sober. And, you know, for a long time, and I think you know this too, it's like we weren't treating trauma for alcoholics and addicts. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be yeah. sober to if, be able to, to engage with that. Yeah, because if I'm so right. caught up in shame because right. I've, you know, left my child in a hotel room yeah. to yeah. go get high, it's hard for me to right. deal with. Right. Yeah. And a lot of times you're dealing with not the stuff that was done to you, but the stuff that you've done, mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. the shame and the guilt that comes from. Because mm -hmm. when you're drinking and drugging, you're right. a lot of times you're doing, you're doing shifty, you're doing <laughs> shady stuff. Shady stuff. Yeah. You two are two of our biggest trauma experts. Christopher, you help lead a, a program at Milestones, which specializes in trauma treatment. And Kathleen, you are, I feel like, a specialist on all things trauma and helping us even reshape how we see that and how we address that here. Um, how does this all intersect? Like, I think you're going there a little bit right now, but uh, how does trauma affect, inform our healing process, addiction process, our brains, our bodies, where does all, all of this lie? That's a, that's that's a, a, big, question. That's a big question. But, you know, I remember having multiple conversations with clients in the past, and this was before, this was when my all my training and experience was all um, just addiction specific. And we'd, I would often talk to clients about how challenging the journey is. If, if life teaches you early on, that to like connection equals pain, mm -hmm. you know, like whenever you try to be vulnerable, there's pain, whether it's in your family or in relationships. And then somewhere down the road, you start to learn that your life depends on connection. Yeah. That's a long journey to make from having to protect yourself from the world right. to utilizing the love and support from people. Yeah. And, you know, I used to love to normalize that for people when you, know, you see people in treatment that they're not letting anybody in and this and that, mm -hmm. like they're keeping everyone at distance. And, you know, that helped them get to this totally. point, totally. you know, self-protective mechanism because of the family they grew up in or the things that they've experienced. And you can't just say, well, you need to open up and be vulnerable. It's like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, do mm -hmm. you know what this person has been through? Yeah. But just honor that experience and that self-protective behavior. Because it served them. It served them so well. But now we have to help them get to a place where maybe they start to let people in. Mm -hmm. um, and I love what you said, Kathleen. And a big way to do that is to give people purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, like connect to them in that way. Don't just say like, I'm here if you need it. Be like, I appreciate you. And like, thank you for being a part of this experience. Because right. mm -hmm. nobody wants pity. Right. Mm -mm. That doesn't make you feel connected or supported, but they need purpose mm -hmm. and they need connection, which, you know, is a bigger thing. But Or to remember, right? Like yeah. when you're saying the giving purpose, and I love that, it's like, it's like treating a person in a way that helps. I want to just personalize it. I want to go when I'm treated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I'm treated like I matter, it's like, I remember that I matter because I don't think that we're trying to, I'm trying to create a new way of mattering. 
Sure. It's like mm. reclaiming something that's been there all along, but that's that right. was long forgotten. And so when you were kind to me or mm-hmm. act in a way that I have something to give. Yeah. You're recovering something of yourself. Yes. Like you're like, yeah. Like that's the mistake that I, I see that people mm-hmm. make when they're trying to help people in recovery. And it's why I have the God save me from people trying to help me. It's not a question of whether people are like really want to help people because I yeah. I believe we're all very compassionate. Yeah. yeah. But it's unskillful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's unskillful because nobody is going, okay, look at you, Mackenzie. I'm here to help you. Look at what right. you're doing to your family. Look what and you're like. Right. Like I already know I'm doing yeah. all that. That's not yeah. new. Yeah. That's not new. What is new is like, oh, you want to have co- coffee with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're interesting. Mm. You do? And then that piece comes up where you're like, what do you want? (laughs) Right? The suspicious. Right, right. But it's like that way of being with people in a way that helps people remember who who we, Mm -hmm. like, I'm a one-trick pony. I believe in inherent worth and value. Mm. Yeah. That it's not up for debate, Mm non-negotiable. Agreed. And I think that one of the things that probably we share, even though our, our addiction or using stories are different, is is about reclaiming the truth of inherent worth and value and who we are to ourselves, to our creator, mm-hmm. to each other, mm-hmm. right? And that we have a right to be here. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing you said I think was so important, when people have really been hurt, mm-hmm developmentally yeah mm-hmm. right there's a difference between a, an adult being hurt that's right but that developmental wounding that changes mm-hmm. brain structure mm-hmm. that when you've had a conflict with your primary caregiver or primary caregiver institutions mm-hmm. right that mm-hmm. you're trying to choose me if I'm with me I have to uh, I might lose you and if I'm you, then I lose me, and I don't know how to be with both at the same time. Hey, friends. Just wanted to pop in and say if you are loving hearing more from Christopher O'Reilly, I want to make sure you know about the limited series podcast we launched in early August called Treating Trauma. For 13 weeks, we are exploring how trauma impacts our relationships, our present, and keeps us from living the life we want to live. Every week, we talk to a trauma expert from Milestones, our one-of-a-kind, holistic, and specialized residential trauma treatment experience, to dive into the questions that many of us have around trauma. How does trauma impact our relationships? How does trauma impact our brains or our physical health? How do we show up for someone in our life who's experiencing the effects of trauma? And what does trauma recovery look like? We even do a couple of deep dives on different modalities that we specialize in, that really do make an impact on our recovery from trauma. We're in the middle of this incredible series, and we've got so much more to come. So join us every Wednesday through October as we explore treating trauma. You can get it right here in your Living Centered podcast feed, or you can subscribe to the Treating Trauma podcast on any platform to make sure you never miss an episode. You often hear alcoholism runs in families, mm-hmm. and it's very true. And I think of you talk about the nature versus nurture, but the nurture yeah. part about it, you know, for a child to grow up in a family where hmm. the primary relationship that the parents have is with the substance, mm-hmm. 
Of course she they would lean into that. feel that. And they, from the beginning of their life, start to become self-reliant mm-hmm. because they don't get any emotional support mm-hmm. from the addict alcoholic and their active addiction. So that love for their, like they come, depend on self, but then later they don't know how to connect with others and they mm-hmm. just... It's really familiar on how to connect with substances. And that's why you see generation after generation Mm. of alcoholism. I mean, that's one way you can, I've seen it play out. I've thought about what you're saying so much. Here's why. Because I was going to AA because I wanted to be clean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I realized that the first order of business is that you needed to trust someone. And it's like, if people have been sources of danger Mm -hmm. rather than sources of safety, And even though I'm trusting me Mm -hmm. and I'm bringing myself to places of danger, Mm -hmm. at least that's still a reliable thing, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, so I realized the whole reason I got in the field to begin with, it was like, I'm like, oh, there's people like me who keep on chronically relapsing. And I began asking these questions to, like, I've asked thousands of people, what happened to you? What happened to you? What happened to you? It was always unresolved childhood mm-hmm. issues that we called abuse back then. Mm-hmm. But it, we didn't have the science that we have now. We had ideas about how brain structure is impaired mm-hmm. and that where our nervous systems aren't developed. Yeah. You know, and that we, you're talking about this, Chris, like it's not just the attachment system, it's the whole uh, autonomic nervous system. Mm -hmm. It's the salience network, which lets us distinguish Mm -hmm. between what's important and what isn't, our default mode network, our executive functioning. Mm -hmm. um, All of that isn't, and our uh, information going from right brain to left brain is impaired. So what do we do with that when... We've had, if you've had less than ideal childhoods, that maybe did affect all of those things yeah. that you're talking about. You use substances. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but exactly. <laughs> like, I think that Bart, makes sense. Like, like, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So now, as someone who was going to AA and wanting to not, like, and maybe you haven't, you maybe, you were saying maybe people hadn't identified some of the childhood stuff or things like that. But someone now wanting to be in recovery, wanting to get clean, understanding the child, like, where do we go? Well, one of the things that I first, uh, I was thinking this is a part of this conversation. One of the first times I heard recovery, I'm in recovery out of the context of addiction to substances or alcohol or drugs. In my mind, like that was what that was. Mm-hmm. And someone at onsite said, oh, I'm a recovering codependent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, what? And so I think there's so many ways that we can cope and medicate that feeling and alcohol and drugs work, right? Like that's why- You did that. Like it served a purpose Uh because you were medicating that Uh feeling. But there's other (laughs) ways that we can medicate that feeling. And so I think that is another invitation of like into this whole recovery conversation. Like we all cope somehow in some ways are more healthy or unhealthy than others. True. I actually think codependents have it worse. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because if you're on my side of this street, you could at least medicate. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm like, oh, that's that. Like I've worked with a lot of families and and their way of helping makes things worse. Worse, but not just for the other person. Yeah. Mm. It, it's that endless suffering, not knowing how to Ugh. have a boundary. Yeah. yeah. Right? Losing of oneself. Mm-hmm. Um completely. 
completely. The anxiety, the anger. The chronic stress and anxiety. Yeah. And if chronic stress and anxiety is the biggest cause of like heart attacks and other so many psychological so many issues. Yeah. I feel lucky. Like I can just <laughs> annihilate it. Give me a few, you know, a case of beer and I'll get rid of that. Yeah. That feeling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Can I ask as an addict and being 39 years sober, yeah. have you in your sobriety, like, do you find other ways that you then went to medicate in different yeah, ways? Yeah. Like, what does that, what does that look like when you're in recovery as a, as a whole, as you're saying, like, it's a lifestyle healing right. is a life journey. Yeah. It's not a singular you event. You never arrive. Yes. You got sober, you got clean, but mm-hmm. you are forever in recovery. Correct. Yeah. What does recovery look like in a healthy way? Well, can I say this? I think the question that you're asking at the beginning, and I, at five years, I had to go to treatment for 30 days for trauma mm-hmm. because what? Mm-hmm. Because the other addictions, yeah. you know, that McKinsey was talking about, love addiction, yep. really showed up. Um, mm. So I wasn't using anymore, but the hole in the soul that nothing mm. seems to fill. Mm-hmm that running after looking for love and not knowing how to, you know, not how to receive it if it was offered, but Mm. being really attending to it not being offered and just being really focused on running after that, you know, led me to say, to say the most powerful prayer that I know is help from the inside out, like help. And then you know, having the resources to be able to mm-hmm. go like to 30 day treatment you know, for trauma. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. To begin to understand, yeah. oh, if I'm going to live sober. Right. Mm. You know, all the things, the attachment issues, mm-hmm. in my case, disorganized attachment, which mm. is um, really prominent in mm. early childhood abuse and can lead to dissociative and avoidant tendencies mm. that you see in codependency. A lot of codependencies mm. probably have really wounded attachment um, yeah. Uh, strategies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I love your question too, because it's like a lot of times, like someone will put down the alcohol, the mm-hmm. drugs, and then there's other behaviors that either surface or become more pronounced. Mm-hmm. And when I say, Surface or com- I'm talking about just compulsive, yeah. whether it's work or exercise or the relationship with food or sex or relation. I mean, it's just um, really fascinating because it's like recovery requires you to learn how to be in your own skin yeah. and not do something to make it those feelings go away. It's to sort of like mm-hmm. I don't want to say just sit with them and you have, but you can try and manage them in a healthier way mm-hmm. and, and with the support of others. And, and, um, you know, I mean, when you, what is the goal of recovery? It's to, to be able to be in your own body and your own skin and, mm. and to not continue with self defeating behavior and compulsive behavior that you lose control when you're in that kind of space. It's, mm-hmm. it's, um, and it is a lifestyle because, the best thing about recovery, and I'm sure you feel this way, Kathleen, but I just know so many people that have 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and they are so glad that they're an addict or an alcoholic <laughs> because yeah. the level of <laughs> self-awareness yeah. and the joy and the intimacy and relationships and just like they're as happy as can be. And it's 
everything because they've worked a program yeah. of recovery. They've had to do yeah. the work. And they've done the work. And, yeah. you know, because there's a lot of people out there that might not be an addict or an alcoholic, but they're just miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they don't have the gift of desperation. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Because right? pain is a great That's teacher. Right. The, yeah. It's an invitation to yeah. integration, right? Yeah, totally. A lot of people can choose. Or they think they can. We think we can choose yeah. to ignore our trauma. <laughs> totally. <laughs> like, you know, we actually can't. Like, you have the jokes luxury. On me, yeah. But like, right? yeah, like we learn to we learn to function with it, or medicate, push it aside, yeah, or turn down the volume, and yeah, yeah, sooner yeah. or later it's <laughs> gonna turn up. Um, yeah. But I think yeah, that is such a beautiful gift of being on yeah. the other side of recovery. And I couldn't agree more. The people yeah. I know in my life that are Actively a little bit down the them. line in recovery. I, I've learned so much from them because I'm like, mm-hmm. you're not afraid to enter into this stuff. You're not afraid to put, like, sit in the hard. You've learned about pain. Like, there's so much beauty in the recovery process aside from getting clean. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, I, like, when you were saying that, I thought of a, I know Hell's address, uh, right? We know yeah. the way out, too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. And here's a, I started, this I started doing here. I don't use the word medicators anymore. Mm. I started calling them regulators. Oh, right? Interesting. Because, like, we're yeah. trying to regulate intense mm-hmm. affect in the body. Or, That's right. Yeah. Like, a lot of people, like, you have a, a mindfulness practice, right? And um, But a lot of people can't sit. Yeah. Like, and I noticed this doing the meditations here, right? When you're like, okay, let's ground in the present. <laughs> and you see people start, Fidgeting. you know, they're. Well, have you ever seen this? Like I've been on long meditation retreats and people who are sitting for day after day after day, there's periods of time where they just have an emotional breakdown mm. or they have to get up and shake and run. Like they, it can be extremely uncomfortable to be in your body for long periods of time yeah. if that's yeah. something yeah. you've been avoiding. Because. If the body is the scene of the crime, that's right, and you're inviting people back, hmm. you know, like going, I'm hmm. inviting you back to the scene of the crime where it was painful, where it yeah. where yeah. it's hurting. Yeah. yeah. And, and can we clarify that um, the body, the scene of the crime, because trauma is also stored in our body, yeah, not necessarily it's a an event happened system. to the yes. body in the way people think of physical abuse. It could yeah. be that. But right. also an event happens to our body because of our yeah. autonomic nervous system right. and because of everything. Everything is in our body. Right. It's because, like, mm. if I break my arm, right. but I never— I don't have it tended to. I just talk about it. Right. Yeah. It's it's going to impact the way that I right. use my arm. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I think about trauma in yeah. the body, it's like it's like the way that I'm acting now because my because I don't know the difference between the past and the present right. anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's not a cognitive issue, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's unbearable affect in the body that might be the past showing up, but mm-hmm. I don't know that. Yeah. And so right. I don't have the, but one of the benefits, like AA has this and two or other 12-step programs is, you know, you said this. It's like I had to go through 12, 11 steps before I could go, oh, I might be able to learn how to meditate, mm. right? And for me, I couldn't sit still at first. So meditation practices like I found in Kundalini Yoga, which... Mm-hmm would let me chant 
use my fingers, which a lot of, I'm, I was born Catholic, so there's a lot of those body practices yeah. that we've seen, On like in old spirituals, yeah. you know, from African-American, right. like really tending to the body, chanting. Yeah. Um, which meditation in and of itself is, I think people often think of it just as like a brain thing, like silencing your brain. It's like, yeah. oh, it's so embodied. Yeah. It yeah. is getting into your totally. body, being present totally. in your body. Yep. Mm. That's a big misunderstanding, right? Like silencing your, like meditation. Yeah. You know, people, I can't, when it's like, I can't meditate. It's like, well, it might not be easy at first, right. but it doesn't mean you can't do it. But yeah, I think so, Kathleen. Cause it's like, I think I know for me and a lot of the teachers I've, it's like using your body as an anchor mm-hmm. for this moment. Your mm-hmm. body's always in the present moment. Right. It's the mind that's in tomorrow and yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just being aware of mm-hmm. where the mind is. Um, because if you're focusing on the breath to kind of keep you in this moment and mm-hmm. you start thinking about Tuesday, mm-hmm. okay, can you recognize <laughs> right. it yes. and come back to this moment? Right. So I love that. it's not that. even be okay. Because that's a moment of awareness, the recognition, mm-hmm. oh, I'm thinking about Tuesday. That's the cold. Like, that's, that's it. it. That's it. That's it's it. too simple, though. Yeah. <laughs> right? I know. Chris yeah. yeah. a class called Practice Makes Presence. It's about mindfulness. And I was his subject in the class. That's I had to, right. Like, do it. And it was so uncomfortable for me because I, too, like, even being in this, like, line of work and being adjacent to so much of this, it, I wanted to do something with that being present yeah. in the moment. Mm-hmm. Christopher was just, like, making me be present, just notice my body. And I was like, yes, and I want to label what it feels and how big it feels and what to do with that and what's my next step and he just made me sit in it and how much that was a teacher of just Mm -hmm. being present you're like "Uh uh-uh stay here don't go there Uh (laughs) don't go anywhere you're doing the thing yeah this is it like i just love that like i just love that part of no, the power of just recognizing a moment of awareness oh i'm i'm thinking I don't know how many years it took me to like get that yeah. right. Yeah. Can oh. you share like kind of how that relates to even your recovery process right now? Because I make up that it's not like great and now I'm sober and now I'm recovered and now like I make up it's yeah. a very active choice that you're engaging with still. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does your recovery process look like today? Well, it still is the foundation of my existence is my spiritual practice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's like sometimes I might fall off uh, actual formal practice. Mm -hmm, Yeah. But it is, it's kind of simple. It's waking up at the beginning of the day and practicing an attitude of gratitude Mm. to begin with. And it's also, even if I'm driving in the car, my hands are on the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the green it's just like these moments throughout many times throughout the day, mm-hmm. practicing awareness mm-hmm. and an attitude of gratitude. Mm-hmm. And also, it's like the principles of recovery. Like before I was sober, I was well-versed in the art of despair, mm-hmm. right? So then through, the, through this uh, way of living, it's a practice of right now, even though I don't feel filled with hope. I can practice for two minutes feeling, hmm. remembering to mm. hope. Yeah. Also, or three, like I was well-versed in the art of trying to control control everything. It's like I was living my life like I'm in the Mississippi River demanding that it turn around. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right? In a great so argument mm. with reality, th- expecting to win and then getting disappointed, upset. Mm. And it's like really on a day-to-day, even moment-to-moment, 
being able to have those moments of awareness that goes, oh, I'm fighting reality right now. Mm. Take a breath. Yeah. Or who am I thinking about all day? Is it just me? Mm. Because for me, that's dangerous. Yeah. For me as a recovering person, I'm, I'm going to tell you a very quick short story about this because it has to be for real or it's for nothing. Mm-hmm. My daughter, when she was 19, a person who was sober but under the influence of love addiction, saw my daughter talking to a boy, and my daughter is also in recovery. She jumped in her car and said, I'm going to kill her, and she ran my daughter over and broke my daughter's back, drug her underneath the car. Hmm. At that moment, when, when this happened, and this person, um, my daughter is fine now. She's forever impacted. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The girl went to prison. Mm-hmm. We, I showed up at the court all the time. But holding the balance between I am a person who is in recovery, which means I cannot board the luxury of resentment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You might be able to live in resentment, but... For me, resentment is hmm. the thing that leads back to using again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially justifiable resentment. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Be like a, yep. a like sugar to a diabetic. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought, oh my gosh, the biggest thing here is that this girl hurt my daughter's body. How am I gonna be with this? And many people will line up to support me and her in being mm-hmm. resentful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How am I going to be uh, with Rose by not and not support her going into resentment? Yeah. How do I support her without not fueling anger? Mm-hmm. Because I already know mm-hmm. that resentment leads to pride, and pride is a spiritual illness mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I view addiction as a spiritual illness that needs a spiritual solution, Mm. Yeah, right? And so I live this way where I have to be ever mindful of the way that I'm resentful. And there's many reasons to be resentful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I want to tell you this, that in our house that we live these principles and the proudest moment that I've ever had as a mom is the day that my daughter said to me, Mom, I am not going to use this event to keep me as a victim, Mm. I am going to forgive her. Mm. We're asked to live in higher purpose and be called to that no matter what happens and that we have role models in front of us Mm. like all the time because what we've recovered is the ability to use our minds in a creative manner Mm. and that we can study history and we can see that history is is the study of people's suffering Mm. and that people under harsh circumstance, we're still able to show up and give to others, care for others. Mm. And if they can, that's in me too. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it is on a daily basis reminding that I am called to higher purpose. I'm here for higher purpose. Mm-hmm. I think it's like whack-a-mole that here we are <laughs> after all these years. Because I want, remember we talked about me working back there yeah. Yeah. at Karen. Yeah. And then- it's like, how do you make this stuff up? Mm, yeah. You can't. I don't even know what to say about that. But yeah, it's, yeah. Because we're living in higher purpose. Yeah. yeah. That it's yeah. not just about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And helping so many people out of your own experiences. I think that's what I keep taking away from this conversation is like, 
being so generous with your experiences. You could just be like, hey, this thing happened to me. I got sober. I'm making sense. And then you're saying, no, I actually want to give higher purpose to what I've gone through. I think it like, yeah. And other people. Yeah. Because there's Mm -hmm. no greater joy. Like Mm -hmm. even here at Onsite, come on. Every Tuesday night, just show up, 6.30, 7 o'clock. You're hearing people Mm -hmm. that, you know, I've got to, we've got to participate with just a little bit. Mm Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And they're like reclaiming their voice. Yeah. Yeah. And saying, I have a right to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that I know that they're going back to their communities and choosing love over fear. Such a ripple. Yeah. Such a ripple. It's huge. That recovery is asking us. Mm Mm-hmm. To choose what power you're actually going to live in and through, mm-hmm. right? Because it's easy to go, oh, I believe in God or whatever, but do you live it? Mm-hmm. Recovery demands that you live it because mm-hmm. you can't stay sober. You like, so mm-hmm. I get to choose. Am mm-hmm. I going to choose fear as my higher power? Yeah. Am I going to live in and through fear? Or am I going to listen? Or am I, am I called to live through mm-hmm. a higher fuel source? That's what I get to. And, and, Last thing, I recovered (laughs) because we use the word choice like everybody has access to it. Yeah. Mm. But if you're driven by a hundred forms of fear or overwhelming Mm. bodily sensation, you're not choosing, you're Mm. reacting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And so recovering the supreme human gift of choice, Mm -hmm. I choose love today. Even if somebody runs my daughter over, Mm. even if I don't like the way that you're talking to me or even if you're leaving me when I don't want you to, that I've been given the gift of choice again. And I don't know if I deserve that or not, but I've gotten to receive it. That is is so good. Like Mm. this idea that recovery is being given the gift of choice again. I love Mm. that because even in my story, it's like I feel like through the way I've chosen to live, my life and the the energy I've put into growing mm-hmm. as a human, I'm not as much a product of my environment. Mm-hmm. I'm more a product of my choice, like my behavior, yeah. my yes. hard work. Yeah, you know. And and when you talk, I'm sitting over here listening to you, Kathleen. And when you talk about, like, I know what you mean when you say, like, you don't really have the luxury of resentment or things like that. But I'm sitting here like I don't either. No one does. I don't, no, nobody does. Thank you. Like nobody nobody. does. Yeah. Because when you are in that space, like it's just, it's not good for you or the people around Mm -hmm. you. Like, like it's, it's a way to kind of stay stuck in the past Mm -hmm. and so justifiable in some situations. But man, oh man, when you know the day, like you have no room in your heart for anger or resentment, that's a pretty cool day because it's like, (laughs) you just understand what this life is about. And, yeah. and moving forward, not for yourself, but, you know, for the people around you and humanity as a whole. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I truly believe that some of us need to vibrate at a really high level to kind of counterbalance some of the other vibrations in the world, you know? That's good. And, and even just <laughs> for my kids, right? Yeah. Like, you just want to be present. Yeah. Because maybe be give them a different experience than what I had. You oh, know? yeah. But your kids are so lucky because, honestly... Do you know how few people know where the present is? Uh-huh. Like trying to like help people learn when you've been so used to living in the future or the past. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. 
And like, I know this from working in recovery. So yeah. like in treatment, yeah. it's yeah. like, okay, come on to the present. I'm already here. You're you not can, here. You can see in yeah. someone's eyes that they're tripping. Mm. Like, right. They're not present. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And in a way this causes more injury. Yeah. Because there's that, we need each other to be present in order to feel whole and seen. Tell me if there's anything better than you can offer someone is your presence. Mm-hmm. Nothing. No. Nothing. No. Nothing. Like we all know what it feels like when we're with somebody and they're distracted. Mm-hmm. Yep. But like what a gift when you're with someone and they're actually like with you. With you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like when I'm in that, it's like, you know, like when some people you feel less than who you mm. are and then around some other people you're funnier than you knew you were, you're smarter, you remember yeah. stuff you didn't even know, right? <laughs> because I think That's presence so creates that. Yeah. yeah. Because it's not that we become more, it's we become who we are. I love that. What greater gift we can give to other people, but also what greater gift can we give ourselves? Yeah. Like we, when we're actually present with ourselves mm-hmm. and be able to extend self-compassion and love and choose all those things, I don't. Yeah, I don't think there's anything better we could do. Mm-mm. Well, and if you can't, if you can't be with yourself, mm-hmm. I don't know if you can be with other people. Yeah. Mm. That's well, that's a, a mic drop. Them, yeah. That's a mic drop. Jeez, Christopher. Well, you know, it's like the whole thing. You can only give people what you have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'm not sure people. A lot of people believe that, right? When you say you can't love people unless you love yourself, we're like, "What I love," and you're like. Well, I love, yeah. I've had interesting moments with parents. They're like, I hate myself. I'm like, Oof. okay, there's a lot going on there, but yeah. they love their children. And I know what they mean, but it's like, yes, the mm-hmm. best way to really mm-hmm. love your children mm-hmm. is to figure yourself out and, mm-hmm. yeah. and to really build that love within self. And then mm-hmm. imagine what you could provide your kids. Mm-hmm. I hope everyone walks away from this conversation because this is what I'm walking away with is what Kathleen said about the inherent value. Like you're Mm. worth this work and you're worth practicing it. You're worth the lifestyle that it requires, the intention, the presence. Like you are worth that for you first and foremost. And then the aftermath of that is loving everyone else. Like it's serving absolutely everyone else when you choose to, to serve yourself. And I just was, I'm so grateful for both of you. I'm so grateful yeah. for this conversation. Um, I'm so excited that we get to continue it a little bit. Um, because <laughs> I'm like, wait, I forgot to say. <laughs> yeah, I think there's so much yeah. more I so want to keep talking about, say. but um, we're going to have you both on a webinar. So there's details about that in the show notes if you guys want to join us because we're going to be talking about recovery and sobriety and kind of how those two things blend together um, and how do we intentionally choose a lifestyle of recovery. And so I'm really excited about that for one. And two, I was just wondering if you would leave us a little bit of encouragement. Like what would be your encouragement for someone who's on this journey of recovery, no matter if it's day one or uh, year 39? Like what is your encouragement for someone on this recovery journey? I mean, uh, what sticks out to me is what Kathleen said earlier. You know, just get your body Mm. in a therapist's office, in a 12-step meeting and just show up. And, you know, it's, Quantity, not quality Mm. in the beginning, Mm -hmm. just show up. There's a reason that a lot of addiction professionals will say to someone, just do 90 and 90 or to just get your butt in the meeting and and just show up. And over time, I think things start to change. Yeah. Just, you know, that just is so important to me. 
It is so important to just show up, right? And not judge the quality. That's right. Mm -hmm. I guess I would add this. I would wish for you the gift of desperation. Mm. Or I truly believe that, that most of us have been hearing something calling our name our whole life. And maybe we've been afraid of it and tried to outrun that thing. And it's just like, whatever that thing is that's trying to get your attention, that's calling your name to higher purpose, see what it's like if you just paid attention and rather than to the external voices to that thing that calls your name. Yeah. Right? That your pain is not evidence of something wrong with you, but it's your invitation. Mm. to a life, to a world, to a possibility that you haven't imagined, that it's not the enemy. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you both so very much. This is yeah, thank you so good. So Thanks. I love being here. Thank you both for, thank you. I mean, I'm learning so much just from mm-hmm. both of your stories. And yeah. I feel like Mackenzie and I have wanted to have a conversation around recovery for a while and feel really clumsy about it. Yeah. Like, how do we talk about how we talk about addiction? It's not something either of us know a ton about. And so mm-hmm. it's I'm so grateful to have both of you have varied experiences and be willing to share that. I think that's so valuable and I think it will help a lot of people. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.